And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Brendan Dell with the B2H Agency. He is a sales and marketing consultant and going to give us some some tips about how we can improve our business. And we're going to talk today about, um, you know, how to uh, survive this economy we're in and this down market, this bear market. So um, before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by FullScale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. FullScale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. Brendan, welcome to the show, man. Cheers. Thanks for having me, man. Well, I, I hope I introduced you well. Um, I'd love to kind of get your background. Um, before we started here, you said you, you've got a lot of experience in, in helping other companies with their sales and marketing strategies. And I'm hoping you can teach me some things today and everybody else. <laughs> we'll try. We'll try. So the background, um, I'll give you the, I'll give you the three minute, you know, history of my career. Uh, so I, uh, I started in real estate. Uh, I was living in LA at the time. And if you work in real estate, basically what that means uh, early on, I was doing tenant rep on the West side of LA. And what that means is you got to go find, you know, the, the big mucky muck folks business when you're a young person. And so the way they told me to do that was to go walk up and down office buildings on the West side of LA and knock on doors. Basically like you want to, you want to leave space. You want to, you want to get space. And so I spent like a year and a half getting thrown out of office buildings trying to sell this service until I had like a, there's got to be a better way moment, um, which I don't think is an uncommon thing for entrepreneurs who are saying like they go out, they cold call, they try to network and they maybe aren't getting the traction or the scale that they want. And it was around this time that I stumbled across a book on copywriting, um, which is where all this started. And so I took this, put together a couple of direct mail promotions at the time. Uh, that's what was going on. And uh, fast forward, those, those couple of, uh, well, one was a FedEx package and one was a handwritten letter I did. Ended up netting like $50 million. I, I can never remember the exact number, but it was a ridiculous amount of listings for this, uh, or I guess engagements for this team, of which I ended up earning very little money, full disclosure. But so from that, um, I started walking that skill set around into tech. Um, and over the years, I've now worked with like 100 and some odd tech companies, Expedia, SAP, uh, 99 startups, portfolio companies, Y Combinator, et cetera, help them, help them grow. Um, and the big le lever that we're leaning on right now in the modern economy is positioning and messaging because they're just, they're fundamental growth levers for companies right now. Well, I always, I always find it interesting when I meet other startups and they struggle to clearly explain what it is they do and why they're different. <laughs> so I, I think... I think you nail like a common problem that a lot of people have. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. It's what, it's what keeps us busy and it's, it's complicated and it's difficult to articulate in a way that's uh, clear, concise, and meaningful to, you know, an audience. What's different, especially 
for a lot of companies today where they are selling things that um, maybe are a lot like what other people do. Uh, and so it becomes, you know, it becomes difficult to create that differentiation. So I'd, I'd love to hear, do you have any specific stories of, of things that you've did that were super interesting? That are, you know, things that you learned a lot from? Sure. So I think um, we can do that. I think maybe taking a step back, one of the con with the topics we wanted to talk about was how to, you know, how to grow in this current economy. And I think it's uh, useful to provide some context to your audience as entrepreneurs, um, which means you're talking about um, starting and scaling businesses and a little context about the environment we operate in and how they can think about uh, positioning themselves. And then we can talk about some examples of this. But something that um, I think about a lot is so as of, I think it was in August, the last stats I saw, there's $122 billion in venture uh, venture capital raised, meaning venture funds raised $122 billion to put into companies. If you rewind tw- 10 years, that number was $20 billion, which oh, wow. means <laughs> you have a fraction of the number of people starting companies back then. And you can see that not only in software, but in a variety of spaces, right? Like nowadays being an entrepreneur is the cool new thing. Um, 30 years ago, venture capital was barely even a business, right? It really started in the 60s. So just the volume of competition that people are dealing with is crazy. And uh, Gong, which is a a software company, has talked about uh, in the modern selling context, about 50% of open opportunities for companies. So you get a lead, you have a discovery call, you get someone who's interested, you give them a proposal, right? So you, and you open that opportunity to say there's pipeline associated. Those deals never close. You had somebody who took all this time and they never actually write you a check. And so people are getting at bats, but they're not able to close deals. So why? One, you haven't convinced somebody that what you're doing is an imperative right now modern content, right? Like what we're dealing with right now, the people are going to be tighter and tighter on budgets or two, they don't trust that you can deliver the outcomes. And so, uh, building a story. And that's one of the key takeaways I would communicate to people is they need to be thinking about how they can tell a story about their business and not just tout features and benefits, but building a story that bridges that gap of why does this matter right now? And do I trust this person that this company can deliver? is where effective selling begins in a modern context. Well, I think you, you, you know, you said, you said one and two, and then you mentioned, I think, which I would actually consider to be the the third thing and maybe most important is the timing, right? Like, you know, whether you trust they can do it or not, it's, is this a priority for me? Right? Like I have a bunch of other things that are really important. Like that sounds great, but it's not the top three, you know, things I need to go solve right now. Yep. And I, I think that's a, a problem that a lot of people have. It's like, even if you built like a better mousetrap or whatever it is, like it's got to be like 10 times better than whatever somebody's doing today, or it's got to be a problem. They have like an urgent issue on they're trying to solve. Otherwise it's like, they got other things that are urgent issues. And I think people always struggle with rem- remembering that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have solutions looking for problems instead of starting the other way around, right. Right? which is like, how do you start with the problem and solve um, and making sure that you have clarity of who that person is, have clarity around the jobs to be done, which, you know, there's a framework basically of thinking about how people prioritize, like try to accomplish um, tasks, tasks in their life. Everything's a job to be done. 
um, and clarity around how those priorities stack rank and how important it is, then you're, you know, you're not, you're not going to be able to position your company to effectively solve for those things. Yeah. I think, I think that's the, these are the common mistakes a lot of startups make is they don't understand the persona that they're trying to reach the problem that they're trying to solve, you know, the other issues that they have going on in the industry that might be way more important. Um, but more than all those is like to go to market strategy. It's like, how do I even reach these people? How do, how do I connect to these people? And I would guess you've got a lot of experience in all of these things that we just described based on your experience. Yeah, 100%. And, and I will say that, found, so I, I host a podcast called Billion Dollar Tech and we speak with, um, with you know, they're not all billion dollar founders, but they're, many of them are and uh, many of them are, you know, $100 million founders and so forth. And one of the commonalities that I hear from people in terms of like, what did I get wrong in the beginning is lack of focus. Uh, and I could, t- there's, okay, so there's a software company called Smarsh. The guy who founded it is Steve Marsh. And he's, I think now he's just like the chairman of the board or something, but incredibly bright guy, very, very successful. And he talked about, so his company, I won't even get into the weeds of what it does because it's complicated, but basically they sold the financial services and they realized that this software had all these other use cases. Well, it could work for government. It could work for education. And this is a company that had raised millions and millions of dollars. Had t- I think at that time, they were a few hundred people. Um, and so they started to branch out to try to go and you know sell into all these other use cases. Um, it's like Apple when they started doing too many products, right? Like basically the company started to fold in on itself because they realized they needed all these different go-to-market teams to support these the different mm-hmm. verticals. And when he went, okay, no, we're, we're focusing on our, on our key niche. We're cutting all this down. We're doubling down on financial services. That's when they really saw the exponential growth. Um, and so I say all that saying, if Apple has to cut their product lines down to be just a few to get focused, right? That's what the first thing Steve Jobs did after he got fired and came back. Companies like the, you know this, where they've raised mil- millions and millions of dollars and they have hundreds of people. And for the average company where it's, you know, small team or 50 people or whatever, certainly you you need to have that clarity of focus on who you're targeting. Well, and that was actually one of the major problems that hurt my last startup is we we tried to have all these different things. We tried to build a platform that had a lot of different features where if we would have just picked like one of those products that was on the platform and just focused on that one plat- that one product, we ultimately probably would have been a lot more successful. We We really tried to have like five different products at one time. And it was yeah. just really difficult to compete. I see that a lot. And it, it, it's for it, it's for good and compelling reasons in terms of people are trying trying to reduce risk. They're trying to mitigate, right? They're trying to say, okay, well, can we service people in a variety of different ways? And you can find broad example, you can find popular broad examples of where people went wide and had success, but those are by far the exceptions and not the rule. And um, it's just you know, if you look at a company like in tech, right? Like Rippling is a company that's going wide uh, across. They've raised like $150 million, something like, you know what I mean? They, there's the burn yeah. on really being able to do that is so tremendous. Um, and well, it, yeah. I think more importantly, from my experience, it also makes the sales cycle that much more complicated and turns it into more of an enterprise mm-hmm. sale, right? Like we're Instead of having like a simple product that one stakeholder can make the decision on, now all of a sudden you've got a product that touches multiple people and it's more complex. It's harder to understand the pricing. It's harder to do pricing. 
and, and it takes more people to come to agreement on um, making the decision. Like it just, it turns everything into more of an enterprise kind of sale. hundred percent, hundred percent. And if you, you know, the old Peter Drucker quote about like, what's the purpose of business is to create a customer. If you're trying to create a customer, right. And which is, so if you look at, there was a study done years ago by these guys named Les, Les Field and something Benet. You can look it up. It's called the, the long and the short of it, I think. And they looked at what what's actually effective in B2B, in B2B advertising, like what drives the, the outcome. B2B is the space that I primarily play in. Um, it was fame, essentially. Optimizing your advertising for fame. And by fame, it means your target audience knows you as the core solution for X. Right. And so companies, how are you, you can't be famous. Like it's really hard to be famous for being good at five things, right? right. Like most people, it's hard enough to be known for one thing, let alone five things. And so how do you, how do you create that? It's like the nobody got fired for buying IBM thing. You know, you, right. how, do you the, how do you create that trust upstream? And it's, yeah, it's, it's a focus. Yeah. It's like whatever problem you have, there's, you know, one or maybe two, vendors are like, those are the only options you would consider. Like if you need a way to chat with your employees, like you would use Slack. What the hell else would you use? I was like, that's the only thing you would think of, right? Like yeah. getting to that fame, right? As you described is the goal where if you're not like Slack or, you know, maybe Microsoft Teams or like, you know, two or three things, like you're like basically not even on the list. It like doesn't even matter. That's so difficult to compete. It's a hundred percent correct. And the you know, it, depending on how how deep we want to go in the, the the weeds on on the the messaging side of things, the you know the, there's a, a a lot of um, what's the best way to articulate? It? Essentially, p- people are entering into these buying decisions with a field of reference, and like I've sat on thousands of sales calls over the years um, and looked at them, you know, at recordings via Gong and so forth. The number one question that people ask when they get on a call is what makes you different? Like that's one of the, because everybody comes with this context of what you just said. Okay. I'm thinking about chat tools. Like what, okay, what's this chat tool do that this one doesn't. And um, so they come with this landscape in their mind. And there's another, there's a psychological thing called anchoring bias, which basically means when somebody has made up their mind on an idea, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, there's tons of research around this. People don't change their minds. Like if you think that, you know, I don't know, like red co- a coffee cup over here, red coffee cups, like t- coffee tastes the best out of red coffee cups. Even if I show you t- like research that says no, yeah. actually blue. <laughs> like, you just described every Apple customer. That's it. <laughs> that's exactly they, they, it. Their, their own bias will not allow them to buy anything else. It doesn't matter how terrible Apple devices might be. That's that's a hundred percent it. That that is it. Yeah, that's exactly. You need no- a seventeen hundred dollar new phone, sir, so you can use Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> um, we realize that we have old phones, and you can buy Android phones for like a hundred dollars. But no, you have to buy the seventeen hundred dollar one. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, I'll buy one, and for my spouse. Yes, thank you. Well, you can see this with <laughs> politics all the time, right? Like, people will have a conversation, and like, if you have a particular point of view on a political issue. Yeah, not, not to get into politics, but I were, you know, I remember like. Anyway, I won't even go into the weeds of it, but basically, somebody was talking about a, a very contentious issue, and somebody, uh, a friend of mine, and somebody showed them a study that showed contrary opinion to their position, 
they didn't even acknowledge the right. stuff. You know, they just glanced right off and were like, no, but this is the reason why that's wrong. And it's like, you know, so this is how people, this is how all of our minds work. My mind, your mind, you know, and we don't even realize all these biases. So that coming back to what this means is how do you then become known to a particular group for delivering an outcome that's otherwise hard for them to reach without your help? Um, that's like, the, that's the, the game and that requires focus. Okay, so you got to tell us how to do this. How do we do it? How do, you how do, do we it? solve that problem? Yeah. Besides so, spending a whole lot of money and like having a billboard on every street and Super Bowl commercials and everything else, like how, how do you yeah. become that that brand and that person, you know, that company? Yeah. So first of all, the, you know, the, trying to think about how to answer it concisely. There's three core things that you have to think about that, at a strategic level, right, that you have to define. And we've talked about the first a lot, which is clarity of buyer. And that means who are you uniquely designed to help? What are the jobs that they're trying to accomplish? And then where do they go for influence? Is there, you know, where where do they go for information? What platforms are they on? What podcasts do they listen to? What conferences do they go to? Like whatever that field of influence is for them. And the world is very sub-niched now. Like you even look at, like, let's take mountain biking, for example, because I happen to mountain bike. That already sounds like a sub-niche, right? But then you pull out mountain biking and you go, okay, well, within mountain biking, there's cross-country riding, there's single-speed riding, there's um, enduro riding, there's downhill riding. And then you can sub-niche out those, right? Even in a niche niche. <laughs> sure. So how do you figure out as if you're if you're resource constrained how do you how do you get deeper not wider at the beginning the second piece of this is what's the thing that you are uniquely qualified to help these people achieve and then why is it an imperative that you do that um, right now like how do you position it against change i'll give an example from a tech company called grin uh, what they do, they have a influencer marketing platform and their whole pitch. When you, if you sit on a pitch with them, they start by saying we've entered the creator economy. Okay. People used to turn to mass media for information, but now they turn to individual influencers. So if you want to be relevant in a modern context as a brand, you need to figure out who are the influences in your space? How can you get them on board with what you're doing? Right. That's very different than saying, Hey, we're an influencer marketing platform and we have more influencers on here than anyone else, right? Like a feature, <laughs> like we're the easiest to use platform of anyone else. They change that to say, no, you need to be doing influencer marketing. And then the anchoring bias kicks in where you've educated them. So they believe you're the best choice. And then, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. The third piece of that is just uh, creating the trust in the results, right? The, the anchoring bias that Seth Godin has a quote that people like us do things like this which is basically like people, you know, they, they prescribe, they, they follow the tribe. So can you show in an authentic way that other people that feel real and like part of this peer group to this person um, are, are getting results from this. And that comes from authentically presenting social proof that doesn't feel like, you know, everybody's seen the corporate testimonial of somebody like looking off camera and being like, yeah. you know, that's stuff that nobody believes. Um, so I have a, a little bit of experience with this from my last company I want to talk about. Before we do, but before we do that, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of the Startup Hustle is sponsored by FullScale.io. Finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit FullScale.io. 
where you can build a software team quickly and affordably, use the full-scale platform to define your technical needs, and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. You know, I, I think you bring up, um, as we've been talking about, that the hardest part as a startup is if you're trying to sell to everybody, you're really trying to sell to nobody, right? Correct. And that was problem. one of the problems I had at my last company was we were selling to other software developers. Well, there's millions of software developers, and they're all over the world in every country. And it's trying to figure out, like, you know, is a specific industry, company size, computer programming language, like all this, all these different, like, kind of sub niches, like, as you described. And, you know, one thing that that we talked a, a lot about, and, and I don't remember where we got some of this guidance, I'm sure it was from some amazing books that our COO had read and stuff like that, but was trying to get it down to, you know, the smallest niche you can get, even if it is you know, based on geography, right? It's like, okay, how do we focus just on, I'm in Kansas City, like software developers in Kansas City, because you know what? They talk to other software developers in Kansas City. So how, how do we get to a point where everybody in Kansas City knows who we are? And if anybody has this problem, they would all talk amongst each other and be like, well, you need to check out this product because clearly they can help you with this, right? Like trying to, uh, to, to, to your point, like even if you have to shrink that audience down by geography, at least, you know, you focus on on the subset and they all talk to each other within that group, even if it's within that geography and help spread, you know, what you're what you're trying to sell, right? Yeah, I think that's really smart. And another piece of advice that was given to me by uh, a, a gal, I won't mention her name, but she, she recently had an exit with her company that was north of 100 million. And she she she's just this extraordinarily bright woman. And she was talking about, um, you have to think of your company in chapters. So, you know, and, and what people want to do because we're all impatient is we want to get to the end, right? And so we go, okay, we have to go wide, right? We have to get to everybody because we can help everybody. And we don't want to miss someone who might buy. But this is actually anathema to progress. And so what you just said of how can you niche it down? And that doesn't mean you have to stay with developers in Kansas City, but it means like, where, where do people hear about stuff, right? Like realistically, peers, social media, like that, that people love to tell somebody business. else about the cool thing that they found, right? Hundred percent. But you, right? you need that incestuous ecosystem is another term that somebody uh, has, has used on me before to to drive that word of mouth. If you have one customer in you know X niche and another in Y and another one in Dallas and right. another in Vancouver and another in Mumbai, they they can't talk to each other, right? Um, and it, it, geography is one way you may niche it, but there's a variety of ways that you that you can niche it. Well, and on the flip side, imagine being in Kansas City, and I've had three friends all tell me about this cool thing because of, because of the opposite of what you described, right? It's like, wow, now I've had three people tell me about this thing. I better check it out. Where if those three were in totally different cities, like they would have never told the same person, right? So it's the more you can concentrate into a smaller group that all of a sudden, you know, it, it continues to re-emphasize. So two, two things to add on to that. One is that of the, I, I don't know what the number is, but hundreds of CEOs that I've talked with and founders, I have never heard someone say ever, man, we just, you know, we were, we were too niche when we got started. We, 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 we were too deeply focused and we should have gone wider earlier. Not once. I've many times heard people say, I started too wide and I tried to to boil the ocean and it really slowed us down. The second piece of it is if you do close one analysis, close loss analysis on a lot of deal flow, which we've done many times, 
and again, I come from the software lens, but this applies. If you look at what is actually trailing revenue, right? Like where did the money actually come from versus like what was leads that we talked with but didn't go anywhere? Mm -hmm. And this is a Captain Obvious statement, but referrals are always <laughs> the best source, yeah. right? People already have the trust. So yes. how do you develop, like that word of mouth comes from being memorable, comes from making it easy for other people to say what you do and pass it on um, and so forth. So you mentioned before you've done a lot of consulting for some, a lot, a lot of brands and companies that we know, but do you primarily focus on smaller companies and, and startups or, or bigger companies or you kind of go all across the board? So my, yeah, so I, I work with companies generally who are at inflection points and what they're trying, they're at some place where they have tried to go to market. They have gotten some success, but they're trying to figure out how do we unlock that next level of growth? And that can be product teams at big companies. It can be uh, mid-market companies who have hit, like a lot of times people get to these points, like 10 million in revenue for whatever is a place where people get where they're like, okay, we've. Basically, you you can muscle you know some of that early stage off like founder led sales, but to scale it past there becomes problematic, um, and so that's a common inflection point. And then early stage seed companies that are trying to figure out, hey, we've got this thing, and how do we tell the story in a more effective way? Those are the three groups that we typically work with. Well, and I think one of the traps that a lot of early startups fall into is they see some early success with growth, but it's mostly like friends and family and referrals, right? So as you mentioned earlier, referrals are one of the best uh, types of, of leads and, and you get a lot of customers from referrals, but it's like, once you kind of get past that network, you kind of hit that, you know, um, um, you know, in the product market fit, you, you kind of hit that valley where it's like, you haven't really hit like market acceptance and market awareness yet. Right. Like just because you were successful selling to your friends and some other local people down the street you aren't going global with this thing. And that's a whole different problem to solve, right? Yeah, 100%. And that that is that is a super common thing that I see is like people will get early stage traction because let's say you came out of like a functional area in a business, like you were a, a finance executive, you know, for technology companies. And so you built a finance tool. And so you can call the people you know in finance and show them this thing. And they want to help you out. And the tool is like generally good. There's nothing wrong with it, right? But like it's mm -hmm. maybe not, you said it well, like you really need a 10X improvement to have a big scalable company. You know, like what's the 10X better you're going to get? Actually, you know, uh, Frank Slootman is uh, the, he was the, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Anyway, he's the CFO, CEO at uh, Snowflake, which is like the biggest software IPO ever. And um he talks about that. That basically customers won't change for incremental incremental improvement. They want no. what the 10x improvement you're going to give them. And if you can't message that, if you can't tell that story, you may get people to adopt your tool because they like you and they know you and they want to support you and the tool is mm -hmm. okay. But you're not going to get to that that big geometric thing that you're looking for. Well, and that's so our company full scale, that's a lot of how it started early on is, you know, we started the company and I we had like friends and, and, and people we knew they were like, hey, if you're doing this and this is successful for you, like, can you help us? Right. And so we grew a lot early on the, the way we had just described through our network early on. But then once you get kind of grow past your network, it, it's a whole different, different phase. And and for full scale for us, it was. Uh, resources like this blog, um, this podcast, and our blogging, and other things that we that we've done that have helped us continue to grow. But 
yeah, we grew extremely rapidly for the first few months because it was our network of people that we knew. And then we kind of once you, then we hit a plateau, right? We hit a plateau kind of once we burned through the, the local people and the network that we knew. Yeah, that's, and it's a super common and difficult thing. And, um, and, it, and it is also, you know, it's a, um, it's a decision basically that companies have to make, you know, do you, because it, so I was talking to the CEO yesterday, this episode will come out soon of blockchain.com. That's a company, you know, they're they're right now they have a $14 million value, uh, or at least that's what they were marked at for potential IPO. And this guy is, he's pretty young, you know, he's like in his, I think he's about, about my age, late thirties. Um, anyhow, he was like, He's talking about, you know, people think it gets easier. People think you're going to get to this stage and then maybe you're going to like hire executives and they're going to basically run it for you. But he's like, man, it doesn't get any easier. Like it's all fucking hard. <laughs> and I was just, and I hear that again and again, that people think they're going to get to like, and I think there are, there are points, right. And you know, you obviously when you get to take some money off the table, but I say all this to say that like the growth is a decision because it's going to be, you're going to have problems. <laughs> right? Well, it requires talent. At the end of the day, it all requires talent. And the company I work at today, that's one of our struggle, right? Like has grown and but missing key talent, missing people with experience. Like it, it's struggling to, to grow and, and, and get to the next level because missing, you know, really key talent in, in different places. And, you know, as the entrepreneur, the founder, you know, you're able to cover some of those gaps, right? But eventually you can't scale and you can't, you can't do all the things. And until you find the right talent, um, only then do you have a chance of getting to the next level. And a lot of people just can't do it, or they don't want to grow to be that big. They don't want to manage that many employees, or they're not good at managing employees. They're, they're good at, you know, certain parts of, of being an entrepreneur, but operations is not one of them. Right. And, and that's always a struggle as an entrepreneur. Totally. I mean, people are always the hardest part, right? Like, I mean, like the, 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 the do like, if you think about a company, like a, like to use financing it as an example, like doing a, a variance analysis is something you have to learn how to do, but like, you can learn how to do that, but like how to manage a team against a goal and a set of objectives and keep them moving the same direction and keep them focused and not overwhelmed and, all that, right. That's the really hard yeah. part. And that's one of the additional benefits of clarity of messaging, which is why I focus so much on this right now is that if you have a clear story, if you can't communicate to your employees where you're going, if you can't communicate to investors where you're going, what this world is that you're creating, if you can't communicate to customers, all the other shit doesn't matter, right? Because nobody understands what you're doing. And so you're just transacting instead of investing. Um, and that's why I'm such, such an advocate of nailing this right now. It, there's a quote from Ben Horowitz, who's like a very famous venture capitalist and, and so forth. And he he said years ago, the company story is the company strategy. And I, I firmly believe that, that the clarity of story creates clarity of purpose amongst your people, amongst the customers, investors, and yeah. so forth. Yeah. And, and, you know, not to bring it full sale again, but that's been a big uh, key to our success has been our story, like, uh, you know, my success and, you know, success of our other, uh, other founder and, and people like the story, right? They're like, you know what, we trust you, you know, based on your background, we like the story, blah, blah, blah. And it, it works, it works. So I, I have a question for you. So for a lot of these companies that you come into, and they're struggling with their they're getting their product to the next level or, or messaging, and all of these things, is a lot of it, is it, is it competition that, that is their problem of like, you know what, we're struggling 
to differentiate ourselves or is it they they just they don't have the product feature set the right way what what is the what are the most common things that you run into so lack of clarity of benefit and lack of must have versus nice to have is the thing that happens again and again <laughs> and the competition is tangential to that issue but it's not core to the issue because it's it's a lack of understanding again like who are you for what are you uniquely qualified to help them achieve and then why should they believe you that you can help them achieve that thing um and so the like one like one thing I, i'll say is that if you if if you have to default to worrying about how to be different and worrying about how to be clear like you know, take something as simple as painting a house. Like we are painting technicians that optimize the aesthetics of your, you know, personal residence with next generation, you know, whatever. Right. Instead of just saying like, we make your house, you know, we paint beautiful houses, <laughs> like just yeah. say something clear. Uh, so people know what you do and can buy <laughs> the thing, uh, versus, you know, trying to get too cute and too different. And then nobody has any idea what you're talking about. Well, and so we, the company I work at now is a company called Camp Digital, and we do digital marketing basically for home services, so HVAC, mm. and plumbers, and electricians, and yep. and um, my job is to try and help us take this kind of boutique product and and make it a product that will be available for smaller kind of mid market electricians and plumbers and stuff like that. And I have we have the, I have the same conversation with our, our our rest of our executive team. It's like, you know what if they don't buy our product? What else do they buy? What are the other options? And like, just because we think we have the world's greatest product, like, so what? <laughs> Who cares? What, what? Maybe they don't care about us at all. Like, you know, how, how do we dramatically help them? Yep. And, you know, I think even sometimes like our other uh, executives and, and founders and stuff, they may have it in their head of like, well, we have the best product in the world. Why wouldn't they sign up for it? I'm like, but what if they don't like they live without it? Like, so what? Just because you think it's the best thing in the world. And, and I feel like as as founders and, and this is my question for you, I feel like as founders and, you know, any kind of executive, we become too close to the problem and too close to what we think the solution is that we don't have very good clarity of what it is that we actually do. And that's why I think somebody like you probably is very helpful to come in with an outside perspective. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I have people come in for, for my business as well, right? Because I, I think it is really easy to get sucked in uh, and to be too close to the problem. And especially in tech, you get a lot of people, you know, who have the idea of like, build it and they will come, right? Like you build some really yeah. great thing they and don't. they'll come and they don't come. And they, I, I was just talking to a founder the other day. He's got a bunch of patents pending on this tool that he built. And he's, you know, he's talking about all the technical prowess and, and that stuff is cool and and hugely valuable if like Google has a lot of technical stuff behind it, but it's the simplest thing to interact with, right? Like right. you go to this little box and it's like, you can find out the answer to any question that you have. Nowhere do they talk about the algorithm that creates it. Nowhere do they talk about the machine learning that helps Nobody you cares. autocomplete. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> yeah. Nobody cares. But they, a lot of early stage founders will over index on that stuff on this like beautiful, unique thing that they created. And it, that's awesome, but it's if it doesn't create something that's 10x better, to use your words, right. if you don't give them that 10x, if they can't just see it and go, holy shit, that is metadata as a tool for B2B buyers right now that like if you run advertising, you know how time consuming it is to like run 
different iterations of ads, right? Like to come up with different concepts and test them on different platforms to tone in the targeting and then to track that, they automate this whole process. It's like a hundred X leap. If you're somebody who's in charge of managing marketing and the company is, you know, doing huge leaps as a result of it. And what company is that? It's called metadata. Called metadata. Metadata.io, I think is the URL. Seems like a terrible name for a company because it's such a generic word. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, they, um, they're doing, they're doing very well in there. But that makes sense because they use metadata to do marketing and stuff. So yeah, names are funny, right? Like I think naming is something that is, um, people can over index on i use people used to ask me to help them come up with names and i stopped doing it because i because my honest opinion on a lot of that stuff is that it basically doesn't matter like you just i think there's use cases where maybe it does but it's so much more about like what you make it than i mean amazon doesn't mean anything like when they, they made it mean something you know when you're small i think it helps if it's if the name is somewhat relative to the problem that you solve you know and mm-hmm. it's easy to relate to the problem then it then it helps but yeah yeah at some point you get to be a big brand and it really doesn't matter at all yep yep but so, some things are interesting like slack like almost reminds me of like slacking off and like chatting with coworkers right so it's like some of them are like interesting you know play on words so here's an interesting messaging like anecdote for what you bring up slack so a lot of people know that slack is an acronym slack stands for simple log of all communication and knowledge is what the wow that that actually means yeah and so that's an example of like if you look at how they could have gone to market right like slack is a simple log of all communication and knowledge it streamlines efficiency and right like boring stuff but what they did, and this is like a tip that people can use in their messaging, is they picked a villain and they said, Slack kills email. And that was the headline all yes. over when they launched. People get it. <laughs> you don't have to explain the thing, right? I don't like email. It's a pain. I get too much of it. Most of it's irrelevant. So that got headlines and attention. It's not a huge download of all the features their product does. And it doesn't explain what a simple log of all community or single log or whatever. It is. Well, we all can immediately relate to the fact that we hate email. Totally. Right. So it's, you know, and that, but to your point earlier about copywriting and messaging and everything, like the right messaging can make all the difference. Cause yeah, your, your other example of like some marketing mumbo jumbo technical speak, like doesn't relate. Like I don't relate to that, but I relate to killing email. Totally. And you, you can see that tactic. So Salesforce, this is more obscure probably to people, but Salesforce did this with no software and they, they, right. they yes. had people, right? They, they My had company stole that yeah. 15 years ago. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so you guys didn't know something? Well, because we were a SaaS, we were, um, so I owned a company called Vin Solutions, which was an automotive uh, CRM company. And so we were also a CRM company and we were one of the very first SaaS based uh, CRM companies. And so we were the same thing. This was like, because back then a lot of our competitors, you had to have a server and install a server and it was, you know, old school kind of stuff. And so, yeah, we actually, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because yeah, we actually used the same little logo and it said no software. (laughs) Yeah. You can see a lot. So Frank Slootman, who's the Snowflake guy, I think that's how you say his last name. Um, He did a company before that called Data Domain which is an obscure company, but is, is a multi-billion dollar exit. And he did no, um, no tape, which is cause they did backup, backup for data okay. previous to yeah, data, yeah. data. And again, it's super niche, right? Like that doesn't mean anything to me, maybe not to you, 
But to those people who had to deal with that, they totally understand, you know, and this is where it's like clarity of buyer, right? Because it meant something to them. My first job in IT was loading those damn tapes and micro <laughs> and uh, mainframes. That was my job. That's brutal. So that I get brutal. it. I was there. Yeah. I was the guy. <laughs> I didn't get it when I heard it. I was like, no tape. That's so fucking boring. Like, what they that, This was like 2001. Like I worked in an insurance company and, and I worked evenings loading up, putting tapes in the yeah, the mainframes and stuff to back up stuff and do everything. Yep, that was my job. So I yeah. relate to that. Totally. And that's exactly like, what can you think of for, you know, your buyer who's ever listening? That's yeah. Like, what's the thing that stands in the way that you can just create? We I've done lots of testing around like, so there's a company called Sudozi that I'm advising that does, um they have a, a finance product. Again, I won't get into the weeds, but we did some some testing around the tool like, with messaging, if we say, hey, it's going to help you help your company save money, or hey, we're going to help you eliminate brain drain manual work, like does the personal benefit resonate or does the economic company benefit resonate in the personal benefit like way over- Don't care about saving money. It's not my money. Yeah, exactly. It's not my money, right? That that And that's the thing about like when you work in the corporate world, it's not your money anyways. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's important and you may have a budget and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, like it's not your money. Yep. Totally. And they, when you look at, um, there was a study years ago about what's people's biggest fear at work. It, it wasn't getting fired. It was making a mistake. And like, if you, yeah. if you break that out, it's like people basically, they don't want to look bad in front of right. other people. And so like when you can appeal to people and that's why trust, why fame, right? Cause it's like, I don't want to buy the wrong thing. And if people think I look, I'm yeah. dumb and like whatever. So if they, if you're buying the, the leader in the category, Nobody, you know, I do. Yeah, you don't. Force it's Salesforce. <laughs> like, you, yeah, you don't get fired for buying IBM or Cisco. Yeah, but you also me. won't get fired for hiring full scale. If you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, full scale can help. We have the people <laughs> on the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. I promise you won't get fired. We 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 are the experts. We can help you. So, uh, visit fullscale.io to learn more. <laughs> you like how I worked that in there. I love um, it. So, I think this has been a great episode talking about marketing and, and and messaging and i feel like early stage startups it's one of the biggest challenges they have and i know my last company which was called stackify we had a lot of struggle with this and of we you know there's millions of software developers you know how do we market to them and we we're trying to market to them a product that they weren't used to using it's like they should be using it but they weren't necessarily looking for the product either and like we were going up and they you can't market to software developers. Have you ever marketed anything to software developers before? Totally. Yeah. It's the fucking worst. Yeah. Yeah. They tough. don't like spam. They don't like phone calls. They don't even have phones. You know, like they're the worst to market to. So we we pick like the worst of the worst of everything. And then we had Same huge competition. Security, like try to sell to CISOs, like chief information, you know, chief security officers at big companies. Like, oh my God, they hate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, so what my my last company was a big struggle. I, I you know, like a lot of battle scars from marketing and uh, messaging and stuff from that. But um, really appreciate having you on the show today. Um, if somebody's listening and, and they need uh, the help of somebody like you, what, what would be the best way to get a hold of you? Sure. So uh, they can go to they can go, my company is called B2H, B, B the letter B and the number two, the actual number and hagency.com. They can find me at brendandell.com. And then they can also find if they just want to learn more, they can um, and and sort of get more war stories. Billion Dollar Tech is my podcast, and they can find that on you know Apple, Spotify, and all the all the places one 
YouTube. I will check that out. Yeah, I will check that out. Please. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I I hope everybody uh, learned from this. And uh, um, thank you for being on the show. Hey, cheers, man. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's fun. All right. Take care. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.